Hello, beautiful boons, and welcome to today's episode. This episode, I personally think, is going to be so like a motivating, driving force for a lot of people because it is all about getting the confidence to change your job, to go out and get that job that you've always wanted or go out and get the change in your life that you've always wanted. So for this particular episode, I've actually teamed up with Seek and they've given me all these stats, all this information. Um, So it's going to be a great episode because I'm going to be giving you all this information about what's currently happening in the job market, what is out there as far as opportunities and what the statistics are. And I hope that after me giving you an insight into the statistics, but also an insight into the mindset that you want to have. And I've got like eight strong points that you're going to go through in this episode. And it's going to make you realize, is this something I want to leave? Am I identifying things that I don't want? in this job? How can I move forward? What's my like defining point? What's my, you know, like the, the, the benchmark or that time limit of when I'm going to stay in this job or when I'm going to leave all of that, you're going to figure out by the end of this episode. So grab a pen, grab a piece of paper and, um, it's going to be intense. So basically Seek has shared with me some really cool stats that are going to show you that if there's any time to change jobs, it is now during what they're calling the great job boom because now there are more jobs than ever. There's less applications than kind of there has been in a very long time, if not ever, and therefore there is less competition for everyone. And this is all due to a shortage in candidates. So you are going to be positioned better to get that job that you're thinking of going for, but you're also going to be better placed to negotiate a better package or salary or perks than ever before. So the way this episode is going to work is I'm going to start with a brain fact um, and this brain fact is going to be very relevant to this episode. I'm going to be talking to you about how new experiences can help make neuroplastic changes within your brain and this is so fitting because new job, new experiences, learning something new, we love all the above. And then I'm going to go over eight steps and tips Um, and things that you want to go through in your mind to help you gain the confidence to go for that new job. Even if you don't know exactly what that job will be yet, you'll have a better idea of it by the end of this episode. All right, so let's get into the brain fact of today. So how do new experiences cause neuroplastic changes in the brain? Okay, this is a really, really interesting topic and it's something that you can apply throughout your entire life because it is something that you can do until the day you die. Your brain can literally change and create new neural pathways until the very last day of your life. It is ever-changing. So the brain is constantly reorganizing itself depending on how it is used or where energy is going. You guys have heard me say use it or lose it, cells that fire together, wire together, all of that. And that is, of course, something that I'm going to reiterate here. If you're not using something all the time, um, there's less energy going towards it. There's less um, nutrients being supplied to those connections and those pathways. So that pathway gets thinner and thinner and harder and harder to access versus if you're doing a skill every single day, like for example, you're shooting a basketball through a hoop every day, every day, every day, that pathway is going to get thicker and more nutrient rich. It's going to get fed all the time. There's a lot of energy going there. You're repeating that action altogether. And so of course, that's going to get strengthened and it's going to be a lot easier to repeat that behavior um, or that memory. So one of the best ways to enhance – and so, and another thing that I wanted to talk about is 
cognitive reserve. I've mentioned it to you guys prior, but it's important to talk about the importance of neuroplasticity as far as cognitive reserve, okay? Because you're making all these changes in the brain, but then you're also increasing this reserve of new neural connections within the brain. It's kind of like a more backup of connectivity within the brain, more synapses, because when you look at degeneration in the brain, um, and I don't want you to think, oh, fuck off, Alexis, that's when I'm 80, I don't want to think about it. Degeneration can begin decades before you see the onset of it. So it is important and it can start, depending what your lifestyle is like, it can start in your 30s or 40s, okay? So use it or lose it. So it is important to talk about degeneration all the time. And if you're someone that's always doing active things and, you know, eating relatively well and always using your brain and connecting with your community and exercising, it's not something you need to be worrying about. But I'm talking about is this something that is a legitimate factor to think about? Yes, it is, no matter what age you are. So we talk about cognitive reserve as being like this reserve. And they used an analogy once about like a tree, right? Imagine a tree with only a few leaves on it. If you gave that tree a really big shake, it only have a couple of leaves left. So if someone with low cognitive reserve, as in not many neurons or neural pathways or, or synapses within the brain, when they read, when they get some sort of degenerative disease, that is like the analogy of shaking the tree. It's going to kill off a lot of synapses and neurons and then there's not much left to work with. And that's why you see this kind of progression of the degeneration occur kind of pretty quickly and then these symptoms last for years before the person dies versus if you have a high cognitive reserve, lots of synapses, lots of you know connectivity between the neurons, the neurons are healthy, then if you give it a big shake, if there's a tree with all these leaves on it, you give it a big shake. Yes, a lot of leaves fall, but there's still a lot of leaves left on that tree. So the same goes for de- degeneration with that analogy. If you get the onset of a neurodegenerative disease, it's still causing all those issues in the brain. But because you've got that reserve, the onset of the symptoms doesn't start until just a couple of years before that person passes away. Instead of you having 10 years of an awful end to your life, you only have two or three kind of thing. All right. So that's kind of the concept behind cognitive reserve. Of course, there's a lot of factors in, at play, but that's kind of the idea. And neuroplasticity is this idea of creating new um, neural networks, new pathways all the time. Now, every time you learn something new, whether it's a habit, a skill, a language, a new routine, new way of doing something, new directions, your brain has to form a new pathway. And then if it's done again and again, your brain then identifies that this is going to be repeated. So it's going to start to strengthen that pathway. So movements that are done repeatedly then become a memory and it could be a muscle memory or a new neural memory or whatever. If you're always presenting your brain with challenges, it's always going to be adapting. And it's not only going to be adapting all the time, but it's going to get really good and efficient at adapting. If you're really good at something and it's easy for you, then the brain isn't presented with a new challenge. So there's less neuroplastic changes that are occurring. So less effort is needed. So it's kind of the two things. Yes, it's good to master something, but you always want to be challenged and learning something. That's the key to it. It's all well and good to be a master of something at 20, but if you're not then learning new information and just sticking to that information that you know, as you get older, you're not getting all these new changes, all these challenges where your brain is putting in all this work and effort to create these new pathways. It's 
just as beneficial, if not more beneficial, to be working on the challenge than to have mastered it and for something to be easy. Challenging your brain all the time is what you want. You don't want to make the challenge so difficult that it's causing you stress and anxiety. That's not the aim of the game. The challenge is something that every time you work on it, you're getting better at it, you're seeing progress, and it's doable. It shouldn't be easy, but it should be achievable, um, and it shouldn't be this like really far-fetched concept that not many people are going to grasp. I mean, you can do that as long as it doesn't cause you stress and anxiety, but it's, but it's not necessary for it to be so difficult to do. That's why it's good to always be learning either a language or an instrument or some sort of sport or skill or, or dance or whatever because it's it's a challenge but it's doable and every time you do it you see progress and you, you notice how your brain is adapting to that skill. So when you're immersing yourself in an experience that's rich in the way of challenges and activities, it's not only going to increase that neuroplasticity, that, that formation of new connections between neurons, but it's enhancing your cognitive reserve, which is neuroprotective. So these new pathways and the energy that flows to them uh, and the constant growth of these new pathways and new connections serve as that protective factor when it comes to degeneration. So when you look at it as far as changing a job or starting a new skill set or learning something or going back to uni, you're seeing how much is going on in the brain. Your brain is under, it's doing so much more work. There's a more pressure on it in a good way, okay? And this is causing all these new pathways, all this energy to be brought to the brain and that's what's going to create this cognitive reserve and it's going to be neuroprotective. So even when you look at changing jobs and or starting a new skill, at the very least, it's going to be good for your brain. It's going to be healthy for your brain. If you're starting a new language, for example, and you're like, oh, I'm terrible, I'm never going to master it. Who cares? It's great for the brain, okay? It's actually healthy. It's like you're working out for the brain. So don't stress if you're never mastering something the aim is to always keep that that challenge up and to always be working towards that challenge. And that way, hopefully, in every aspect of your life, every time you approach challenges, you should kind of be thinking, I live for this feeling. This is what I want. I want to always be challenging myself because it means that change is happening in my brain. It's a great thing to be presented with challenges all the time. Just not a challenge that's so intense and so insurmountable that it's going to be causing you severe anxiety. Right. So now let's get into the episode of today. Like I said, I'm going to be going over eight points. Ideally, if you're someone that's like, this is me, this episode is for me, I need this, I want this, then you can either, I would recommend you grab a pen and a paper and you sit down and every time you, I get you to, I ask you a question or get you to answer a question, I want you to pause and write it down. Ideally, the first time you listen to it, you can listen to the whole thing and then go again and write it down. That also works. But sometimes I find that when you are listening to something for the first time, you're more primed for that answer. You're more in the sense of it's the first time you're hearing it. So all these new ideas are bouncing around in your head. You're getting all excited. You're you're imagining leaving this job. So you're probably going to have more ideas flowing through your head now than the second time that you listen to it. So I want you to have that pause button ready. I want you to have your pen and paper or your laptop or whatever and get brainstorming. Okay, so let's begin. Point number one. Answer these questions. Okay, why are you avoiding leaving your current job? What is stopping you? 
Okay, so obviously you're listening to this episode because you're looking at expanding in your life, going to either a new job or a new career altogether, something totally different or something semi-relevant. But you wouldn't be listening to this episode with your pen and paper right now if you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm loving my job. I don't want to leave it. Okay, so I want you to start to name all the reasons, all the things, all the insecurities that you might have that is stopping you from leaving your current job. And I also want you to identify where guilt might be involved. So let's look at guilt as a category, okay? You might be guilty in leaving your job because you're guilty of having a mentor or a friend that helped you get there. Um, someone else maybe helped you get there through a contact. You just got a raise um, or a promotion. This happens all the fucking time, guys. It happens all the time. And I'm going to talk about this in a second when I go into like kind of unhealthy or toxic work environments, but that's in a few points time. But it's this idea that there's a lot of, not definitely not all, and I'm not saying that this is a toxic trait, but there is a lot of employers in a lot of companies that will just keep you at bay. Just It's kind of like breadcrumbing their own employees and they have you just there. And they give you that little promotion just when they think you're about to leave. If they see that your dissatisfaction in the job, like you've got a level of satisfaction and it's dropping, then they give you that little promotion to make you stay. And they do this for two reasons. One, because of course people do want more money in their role. We're not martyrs. We're not fucking working for free. Of course, we're working for money. So they give you a little bit more money because they know that will make you a bit happier in the short term. And then two, they know the emotional pull that a promotion or that a raise will give somebody. They now feel for it, oh, I just got a raise. I can't leave for at least another six months kind of mentality, okay? So if someone's not sitting you down being like, let's talk about how you're going. What do you want in this job? How can I make you happy? How How can this job make your life, you know, a better balanced life. If they're not doing that during the good times as well as the bad, then they're probably just giving you that raise to keep you there because they know that you're not satisfied with the role. And that's not ideal because then it means that that role is probably not going to get better in the long term. You And I'll, again, I'm going to de- dig a bit deeper into this in a second. But ideally, you want someone that's speaking to you even when you are happy because they're wanting your contribution and they're wanting to see you always happy in the role, not just financially, but also in every aspect of your role. Okay, so guilt is one of the reasons, but you should never feel guilty because they just gave you a raise because that is just, that's life and it's business, okay? Um, another one would be, or, or, or the, the last one for guilt is maybe you made someone a promise. I'll promise I'm going to stay till the end of this campaign or this job or whatever, okay? Now, the next one will be insecurities. You might have imposter syndrome. You might feel that you're just surviving in the job and that you could never do something more. You could never go for that other job. Um, go and listen to episode. 123. It's all about imposter syndrome and that's going to kind of um, give you a better idea if that's what you're going through. You might have lay another thing, another insecurity. You might have labeled yourself as not being good at another role. You might genuinely think I am not a good leader or I could never do management or I'm really terrible with face-to-face contact with, you know, customers or whatever it is. You might have just said that to yourself because of maybe an experience way back in your past that wasn't good and you never gave yourself the opportunity to try it again. Or you see other people in managerial positions and you think, God, I'm nothing like that person, so I would probably be shit at managing. That's a terrible analogy. You're looking at at correlation and you're making it a causality, okay? So that's not the case. So is that a potential insecurity? Um, One of the stats that I found really interesting is that 45%, nearly half of Australians are worried that their skills and resumes won't stack up against other Aussies. So that just shows you that... 
this imposter syndrome or this insecurity about your abilities is widespread and that can't be accurate. You know, I think a lot of people think that their abilities are a lot less they like play down in their head. They they underestimate what they are capable of doing. If if nearly half of Australians are saying that they don't think that their their skills are going to stack up, okay. And then the other option is fear. So you might be scared of the change, or you might be scared that you're not going to make it in a new role. There was this stat that fifty nine percent of people are worried that if they change jobs, it's not going to be the right role or it's not going to be the right company for them. And that's what holds so many people back from making a change because you think that, oh, I better not make that change. I better stay where I am. This is the safe place. At least I'm not, there's not the risk of losing this job. Whereas if I change, what if I don't like it? What if I'm not good? And then I'm fucked because I just gave up my old job where I had quote unquote security and now I might not have it in this new job. Okay. Um, if you ask, if if you're in that position, then definitely go listen to some of the older eps on on making irreversible decisions and all of that on episode eighty two and seventy five. Um, and guys, you're not alone. You are not alone. One another stat that I want to give you is that nearly sixty percent of people, nearly fifty nine percent, okay, feel that their preference for job security has contributed to the reluctance in changing their jobs. So this idea that I'd rather feel secure in the job that I have versus go for that job that I want. It's this whole security thing. But as I mentioned a little bit earlier, everything's changing. There's less candidates going for the same roles. There's more jobs available than ever. It's just such a good time to be changing over that this idea of job security isn't really as relevant as it used to be because – there is so much availability that companies are wanting to hire people. So this idea of like, if I quit this job and get another one, I'm fucked kind of doesn't really stand anymore because you're not fucked. You're resourceful and you clearly have skills. You're going to find that like, there's obviously a lot of opportunity, even if you're not happy in that next one, but definitely go listen to episode 82 and 75. And it's all about, you know, making these big decisions and and being happy with the decision you've made and sticking to it. Cool. So that's the first point. Write it all down. It's always, as I always say, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Firstly, it's really important to acknowledge any insecurity, fear or guilt that you might be holding around why you're not going to, why you're not taking that leap and going for the other job. That's really important. Bring it to the light, take it out of the darkness. Now we can do something about it. Now, number two, I want you to identify if you are in an unhelpful or a toxic work environment. This is really, really crucial because a lot of the time you might be working for a company that you've worked for a long time and you think, oh, this is normal, but it's really not. A lot of the toxic behaviors that occur in in a lot of workplaces and companies are not normal. And especially now, or, you know, as time goes, times are fucking changing and companies and businesses are evolving. And what is practiced in certain companies that might have been longstanding for a very long time when you might feel that you have the security is not practiced in other companies that might be maybe smaller, but they understand this work-life balance a lot better or they have more time for their employees or whatever. Okay. So, and I get, this has nothing to do with the size of the company. I'm just talking about certain businesses operate differently to others. Now, What I want you to do is I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions that are coming up or like um, points and I want you to identify if this is happening as it could actually be hindering your growth professionally and you you might need that push and this might be the push that you need. You might be like, wow, okay, this is not actually helping me grow professionally, okay? 
Number one, are you ever made to feel appreciated for working beyond what is your role? Okay. Or is it expected? Are you only ever offered incentives? Number two, are you only ever offered incentives when you're wanting to leave? Like I was saying before. It's this idea of like, I'll let you get so sick of your job and just when you're about to throw in the towel, I'll throw you a fucking bone. I'll throw you a carrot, you fucking donkey, and now you can stay a little bit longer. No, can't, no, okay? This should be a conversation that's ongoing. This is, this should be, these incentives should be offered even when you're thrilled with your job, not when you're about to leave, okay? This idea of a raise or whatever. Um, another one, are they trying to delay your incentives with all these excuses of like, oh, you know, your bonus was going to be this, but now, now we're going to push it to this um, later date or your target was going to be this and now we're doing the, you know, this trying to put, stretch it out using all these other excuses as to why they're doing that. Um, number four, and this one fucking pisses me off. Do they expect you to be as passionate about the company as the CEOs or the owners of the company? This is a very unhealthy and a very unrealistic expectation to set on an employee, especially when they're getting paid peanuts in comparison to the top dogs of the business or the company. And even if they're not getting paid peanuts, something that used to annoy me in a lot of businesses that I've worked in in the past is that the owner or the CEO would say to me, um, you know, I, I spend all my time and energy on this. I spend, you you know, like you guys get to go home and I, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm like, mate, I don't care what it is that you're doing. This is your business. This is your company. The day that I start my own business and my own company, I'm going to experience what you're experiencing right now. But I am an employee and I'm doing a swift exchange of my time and skills for money. I don't have to do what you do. It's not my company. I do not own it. Okay. This guilt that gets put in, it's like, oh, if, if the CEO, if the owner is working that hard, all the employers should be. No, they shouldn't be. No, they shouldn't be. You should work efficiently and well for the hours that you are paid to work. End of story. Okay. Next one, which is really toxic. Do they demand loyalty, quote unquote, and expect you to forego career opportunities or more money that's going to make your life better just so they can keep you in the job and make you and make their work life better? Don't weigh them up as the same thing. So they're saying, where's the loyalty? Where's the loyalty? People never stay in jobs anymore. People this, people that. So they expect you to be loyal to them and and weigh up your quality of life and how much money you'll be able to earn and make versus their comfort at work so they don't have to employ somebody else. They are fucking high on crack if they think that that's a fair comparison. Don't ever think that you have to be loyal because when it comes to them, you're one of many employees, right? But when it comes to you, we're talking about your lifestyle. We're talking about the income that you're getting that could then contribute to you paying off your mortgage or you getting this thing or being able to go on a trip or whatever. It's not the same. It doesn't weigh the same. I think there is such thing as loyalty in the workplace, but what, not when it comes to an employer making you feel guilty for going to another job because you've got better A, opportunities or B, income. Okay? That's not fair. That is not fair. It's like, you should be loyal to me... Meanwhile, I'm not paying you more, but you should be loyal to me because it makes it easier for me because I don't have to hire someone else. But you can just not get that opportunity. You're, you Don't take that stepping stone to get further in your career. No, 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 because loyalty. Like what? No. Why, why is loyalty even such a thing in the workplace? It's, it's at the end of the day, as long as you're transparent, I'm, I don't think it's fair that if you have a good relationship with your bosses and whatever, to leave them in the lurch from one day to the next. Of course not. I'm not saying ghost your 
manager or your your job. Not at all. That's fucked. But I am saying that you should be comfortable and feel confident enough to walk in there with as lot a lot of notice and say, I understand that we're working on all of these things together and that I've had a really good time, but now it is time for me to take that next step in my career and I need it. Or financially, I need to take that next step for my livelihood. Okay? This bullshit of Anyway, you can tell that it fucking pisses me off. But this idea of loyalty really gets under my skin when they use it as a, as a manipulation, emotional blackmail way to get you to stay there when really how are they showing loyalty to you other than employing you? But that's not even a favour. They're getting something in return, okay? Now another one off the back of that is this idea of if they make you feel like – they are doing you a favor by employing you. I think that's very toxic. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you're so all, a lot of people want this job. You're lucky to have this job. Then fucking hire someone else. Hire someone else. You know, I never want someone to make me feel that I'm lucky to have the job. I'm grateful for every job that I've had, but I earn my place in that position, okay? I'm giving you my time and I'm giving you my work and I'm giving you my effort and skill set to be here. And you are paying me accordingly, Okay, so there's no luck. This is a, a fucking direct transaction of time for money, effort and skill for money. So they should never be turning around and making you feel like you are lucky to be there. You are both in a good position to have each other, but no one is luckier than the other if you are hired appropriately for your skill level. So you have to know your worth when it comes to this shit, okay? Don't take that kind of language in the workplace. Don't put up with that bullshit because that is a way of people keeping you down, making you feel like you wouldn't have those opportunities elsewhere, which is a lie. And then the last one, which is so obvious, is are you expected to work on the hours that you are not paid to work? Are you made to look lazy when you don't work those hours outside of your normal work hours? Or are you made to look like you're not passionate about your job enough if you don't reply to these emails outside of work hours? There are countries that have laws in place and Australia is not one of them, but a lot of countries, well, look, that's a lie, not a lot, some countries, I think France is one of them, that has laws in place where you legally do not have to reply to emails, phone calls, nothing if it's outside of work hours. Obviously, depending on the role. If you're paid, you know, to be on some sort of uh, like on call, that's different. But that literally there are laws in place in certain countries that prohibit this expectation of replying to emails or phone calls outside of your normal work hours, which is brilliant. So if you're being expected to do that, then, you know, that's obviously not a very healthy place to be working at. Now, Number three of the big eight points. Number three, I now want you to identify what do you no longer want to do work-wise. I want you to identify aspects of the job that don't serve you, okay? Because before you enter a new job, I want you to decide what it is that's not working for you, you know? So it's very important to identify what you want, but it's also important to realize what it is that you no longer want to put up with, okay? Because then you're going to start to understand like maybe it's not the job in itself that I hate, but maybe it's this one aspect that if I could replace that aspect of the job for something else, I could stay in this industry and I'd be thrilled. Or maybe you could turn around being like, you know what? I fucking hate every fucking second of my day at work. So I need a completely new career. Maybe a job, a new job isn't going to be the answer if it's in the same industry. Maybe I need to do a full 180 and do something completely different. Start breaking down the aspects because if you're going into work being like, this is fucked and you're getting home being like, that was fucked, then 
just changing a job might not be the answer. You might need to change careers altogether, all right? But this is what you need to identify. So just write down a whole bunch of things. Is it customers that you don't like dealing with customers or the opposite, you don't like being alone all day long and you'd rather face-to-face contact? Or is it that you um, don't want to be working in at home all day long and you want to be in the office and at home or vice versa. You want to be more at home than you are in the office. Or is it that you want more of a combination of physical activity instead of sitting down all day long and it's doing your head into be sitting down or vice versa? Um, is it that you hate working in a team and you're more of an individual and you like doing your own work? Is it that your team is not forward thinking enough and you want to be in a more progressive industry? There's so many things that you can look at at your job and think, that is something I don't want or that is something that I would want more of and really break it down and identify it because ideally you don't want to look at your job that you're in right now and think every aspect of it is fucked. You want to look at your job and be like, these are the key aspects that I would like not to be happening in my next job or career or whatever. Number four, ask yourself what feeling are you seeking Okay, and I've spoken about this before about chase the feeling, not necessarily the label. So when I was talking about, I think I, I'm pretty sure I've said this on, uh, I've said it on a podcast and I don't know if it was an interview or on here, but I will say it again. Um, when I was wanting to be an actor, I thought it's the be all end all. I'm going to be an actor. There is no plan B, blah, 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 blah. But then of course I had the plan B because I went to uni because I found the brain really interesting and I really enjoyed that. But in the back of my mind, I was always like acting is the be all end all. And then I started thinking, okay, if this isn't going to work because I'm actually getting so much like unwanted, well, anxiety is never wanted, but anxiety around every time I wouldn't get a role or every time this audition would come up and then I wouldn't be chosen to even audition, all that shit. Then I started thinking, is this really what I want? What do I love about acting? And I realized that I loved public speaking. I loved getting in front of audiences. I loved... Um, talking about something that I was passionate about. And then I realized that's not exclusive to acting. If anything, acting isn't necessarily me talking about something I'm passionate about. Yes, I've got an audience, but a lot of it is I'm reading someone else's script, right? So then I thought, what else can I do? So then I loved science. So I thought, could I lecture? Could I this? Could I that? Anyway, long story short, enter the podcast and here I am. So I was chasing that feeling of I loved public speaking. I loved having an audience. I loved sharing ideas that I was passionate about. And it turns out that there's many alternatives for what you think is the only option there as long as you're chasing the feeling. So you might have a career idea in your head and think this is it, but it might not be. So think, what is it that I love? Is it the human connection? Is it that I feel like I've made a difference to someone at the end of the day? Or is it I feel like I've alleviated somebody's, you know, stress or pressures for the day because I'm either a comedian or I am um, a really out there bartender that has a really good time with my clients or I'm an Uber driver that really makes someone's day every time they get in the car? Is that the feeling that I'm chasing? Or you could think, I really want to feel like I am zen and calm at the end of the day. That's the feeling I'm chasing. There's many jobs that could offer that instead of maybe the one that you've got in your mind, okay? So is it that you want to be around people, that you want to be creating something that's creative and it doesn't have to be what you think? Another huge one is just ask yourself, what effect do I want to have on people and what effect do I want to have on myself at the end of the day? And then ask yourself, do I want my work to align with my purpose or 
Do I want my work to be something that I can go, bang out, and then switch off at the end of the day and not have to think about it? And I want my purpose to be something completely outside of my work hours. Because that's, that's a big deal. If your work is aligning with your purpose, then your work is going to bleed into a lot of areas of your life as well, which is not a bad thing, but you've got to identify that. Um, but a lot of people really enjoy, and I see the temptation of it, and I actually, I, I get it. They see the benefit, and I do too, I see the benefit of the idea of going to work, just being there, being in the zone, and the moment you walk out, it is done, finished, I'm not going to think about you until I come back the next day. And that's pretty fucking cool if you can do that as well. you just got to figure out what is more your cup of tea. What do you align with more? Purpose being linked or purpose not being linked? Now, number five, and I want you to really write this down and be bold and know your worth. I want you to identify what you have to offer. Write it all down. And it's not just skill set, okay? It's your personality as well. So what do you bring to the table? Be clear about it. Be loud about it. What are clear strengths of yours? And they're not necessarily straight up things that you've done at other places that are on your CV, okay? This can often be personality traits. And it's often personality that lands you the best job. You cannot teach personality. You can't teach vibes, guys. You can't teach vibes, okay? So any good, emotionally mature employee can understand the value of this. It's not to say that if they need prerequisites, they're going to hire someone who's just vibing off the streets. No, but if you find a job and think, fuck, that's kind of along, of what, along the lines of what I've done, but I'm underqualified, you can go in there. And with your attitude and with your personality, without lying about your skill set, being honest about what you do know and what you don't know, you can go in there with the personality that you've got and someone can be like, you are the one. You are the one because I want your energy in the office or I want your energy in this workplace and I need you here and I can teach you the rest. You'll be amazed at how willing so many employees are to teach staff certain skills if they've got like the, the, the base of that personality, of that attitude of like, I'm here for it, I want to be here, I want to grow, I'm excited, I'm bringing good energy to the team, okay? So I want you to identify that, what, what do you have to offer? Are you someone that loves a challenge and you're really, and you thrive under pressure and you're really calm under pressure? Because that, that, that might be your thing. Or you might be like, fuck that. I can't handle pressure. No, 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 no. That's not my strength. But I'm also really good at calming people down. I've got this really good calming presence and whatever. Or you could be someone that says, look, I've actually got more energy levels than I've ever met anyone else have. So whatever role you put me to, I can guarantee you I'm going to be smashing that out because that's just what I like to do. Okay. But whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Basically, you get the point. It doesn't matter. But identify your skill sets separate to the work skills that you have and write it all down because that's something that you want to bring across. Something that's just on paper often isn't going to bring that across. So if you can get an interview, you want to sit down and talk about these things. What has made you who you are and why and why you are dynamic and why you are um, versatile in a role or why you are resilient. Okay. Now, number six, and this is so important, guys, you have no idea. Set a timeline decide when you want to take action. Do not set just an arbitrary date though, okay? I want you to ask yourself, what am I waiting for and what would it take to change, okay? 
And you might genuinely be waiting for something and that's fine. Like you might be waiting, you might be saying, well, I can't change my job right now because I'm waiting for this bonus to come through and I've got to stick it out for another month or two. Fine, fine. You might be waiting for a date of a possible promotion and if you get that promotion, then it is your dream job and if you don't get it, then you want to leave. So that those are very fair things to wait for and then you, I'm sure you've got many other reasons that you might want to wait. That's fine. But know and identify what you're waiting for. But if you're waiting for things to get better or you're just hoping that things are going to get better but you haven't done anything about it or you haven't gotten concrete evidence that things are actually going to change, then you are literally just wasting your time. And this is the time that you should be putting your feelers out there and looking for another job, another opportunity or another career altogether, okay? So if you are in that position where you're waiting for things to get better – What I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself, what would it take for me to leave and what would it take for me to stay? And when is the deadline for that? Because if you're just cruising along in a job that you're not happy with and not doing anything about it and you haven't set parameters, you haven't set markers of what's the absolute limit of what I'll accept and what's the limit of what I won't accept, then you're kind of not really helping yourself because you could be in this exact same position in three years' time, in five years' time, in the same role, okay? So if there's nothing, no proof that anything's changing, I personally would start looking for a new job now, okay? But some people might say, okay, if in three weeks' time the things that they said would change haven't changed, I'm going to be taking action now. I'm going to start looking for a job. But regardless, I want you to set a date And if there's nothing that's coming up, then make that date closer and closer and closer, if not today, to start looking for that new job, okay? Because you need to do this for yourself. And often there's going to be all these things, oh, oh, you know, this is going to change when this new manager comes in or this is going to change. Not your problem, not your fucking problem, okay? You've got to look at it as if someone were to come down with a crystal ball and say, you're going to be in this position that you're in right here, right now, in two years' time. Would you be happy with that information? And if the answer is no, then you need to start taking action now, okay? Number seven, I want you to visualize what that change would feel like. Think about a job that you would love to have or a position that you'd love to hold and go through the motions in your mind of what that would feel like. And prepare for multiple outcomes, like different opportunities, different kinds of jobs. But what would that change feel like and look like in your life and really imagine it. Really put yourself in the shoes of your future self in the sense of what would your new commute be like? What would your work-life balance be like? What would your morning routine be like? And if all these things were the way you would want them to be, how would your life change relationship-wise, hobby-wise, sleep-wise, health-wise? What would change? Okay, because work is such a big fucking part of your life that you want it to fit into a nice work-life balance. So I think it's really important that when you start visualizing what is possible for you and how things could look, that's more of a driving force to get you to take action and do something about it. I recommend you visualize often on all sorts of things in your life and not just this like la di da di I'm visualizing. <laughs> like it, it's actually, it does a lot of good for you because it gets you in that position of what it would feel like and then you, your brain is more accustomed to that concept and then it doesn't resist it or fight it so much. It feels like it's already been done. And so for you to think about it or to actually action it isn't so out there and so outrageous. If anything, you're more excited about it and it feels like it's possible for you to do it. 
Now, the last one is number eight, and that is take action. Now, I, have, I do have an episode where I talk about soft action versus hard action, and it's this idea of identifying that soft action would be something like peripheral things, and, and it does help, but it's not what's going to make a difference. So, soft action would be like jumping online, jumping on Seek and seeing what jobs are available. Uh, but you can do that day in and day out and day in and day out, okay? And that's not really going to make the difference. A hard action would then be to have your CV ready and send in a CV with a customized, personalized cover letter for that employer, for example. That's a hard action. A hard action is rocking up to the interview, okay? So identify, do a bit of soft action every day and do a bit of hard action every day. Hard action should feel like if you're resisting it more, it's probably hard action. If it's like, oh, I'll leave that for later, that's probably hard action and you need to be doing it. Now, also in the take action part, interview with fucking flair and with confidence, Remember that you are interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. This is a two-way street. So ask them the hard questions. Ask them what the work-life balance is like. Ask them what is expected of you, if anything, outside the work hours. And most importantly, talk about money in your interview. Nothing, nothing makes my blood boil more when money is not discussed in an interview. And it makes you feel like dirty or inappropriate for bringing it up. Like what? And this happens, well, I I know for a fact that it happened a lot when I was younger. And if I didn't bring it up, they didn't bring it up, which is outrageous to me. It's like, I'm not fucking charity. I'm not doing this because I love bringing profits to businesses for no reason. I have bills and I want to enjoy my life. So what is the pay? You know, ask them bluntly, maybe maybe don't quote me with that sentence, a bit aggressive, but ask them bluntly and straight up. And there's only one way to ask, and that is, what is the salary? Boom, stare them right between the eyes, hit them where it hurts. What is the salary? Okay? And then if they arm and are about it and whatever, then just say, I'm only able to make up my decision when I, understand, when I have a clear indication of what the salary is. And then if you're not happy with their answer about the salary, if it's too low, then straight away answer back, is this negotiable or not? So that way they understand that they, they're they not going to waste your time. They know that you want more and they know that you're not happy with that number, okay? You just have to say, what is the salary? Is this negotiable? If uh, Unless you're fucking thrilled with the salary and you don't want to negotiate, fine. Okay, it's really important to ask those questions because what's going to happen is that they're going to know that you know your worth and there's nothing more attractive than meeting somebody that knows their worth. It's like you know that they're going to be confident, you know that they're going to be comfortable in the role and it's not about, and I talk about this in imposter syndrome episode, it's not about them thinking, oh, they know everything about the role. They don't care if you're not fully experienced in it, but they know that you know your worth and they know that you're capable of working, okay? Someone who's like, I'm and ah, yes, I'll do, they're a pushover, okay? And a lot of employees might like a pushover, but you don't want to be hired on the pretense that you are a pushover. You want to be hired on the pretense that you know your worth and you're willing to work hard and work as a team, but you're not going to be fucked around. So you're going to attract the right employer in that scenario, okay? I'd much rather someone not take me on because I was confident in my interview and asked for the salary and they were like, ooh, this person's too straight up. Good, then don't hire me if you don't want people who are going to ask the hard questions in this job role, 
Okay. But if you go into an interview and you're strong and you know your worth and you can ask the hard questions, a lot of employers that want strong personalities are going to really appreciate that. They're going to want that. They're going to want you working with them and they're going to want you to be part of the team. Okay. So ask the hard questions. It's not worth it to not do it. I'm telling you right now, you're setting yourself up to fail. If you're like sweet and nice and kind, you don't want to ask anything in the interview. No. You are interviewing them. When you go into the interview, remind yourself, say it. I am interviewing them. This is my life. For them, I'm just one one little bolt in this machinery of a company. For me, it's my life that I'm talking about, my work-life balance, okay? So I'm interviewing them to see if this job fits into my life, okay? That's the difference. Change it around, change the perspective. And like I said, guys, as a wrap-up, there is literally an increase in jobs across nearly every industry in Australia right now. Candidates aren't applying for roles as much as they used to be, okay? So there's less competition, which increases the likelihood of you landing a role, okay? And this shortage in candidates means that you are well-placed to negotiate better perks, higher salary, all of the above, okay? So right now is the right time to make your next move. I want you, if you're thinking about changing your job, this is the time to do it. This is the time to stop everything, look at the list of everything that you just wrote down, get excited and start looking for a role that's going to suit you and your life better. It's fucking exciting times ahead. Exciting times ahead. Um, so definitely dive straight in and good, good, Godspeed and good luck, guys. I'm very excited for you all. And if you are changing jobs or going out and and um, interviewing, please just write that down on the Facebook group. There's this great support on that group and we'd all love to hear what everyone's going out for a new job or what they're looking for or what job they just got. So I'd love to hear all of the above. Um, thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope that this was the motivating force and drive that you needed to change your job. And also a big thank you to Seek for um, partnering with me to do this episode. That was so cool. Thank you for all the stats that they gave me. And if you are ready to take that leap of faith into your new job, then go visit the Seek website, seek.com.au, or just jump onto the Seek app. Amazing, guys. As always, remember, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone, and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.